listening to a podcast greater than yourself. <laughs> okay, welcome to a bonus Halloween episode of podcast greater than yourself my name is john barleycorn and i am fred and uh we're (laughs) what are we doing (laughs) well this one's hot off the presses i've literally just finished editing it as of whoever's hearing this first and um gotten it to your ears and fred is going to give it a review just to make sure i didn't somehow slip up and speak my social security number home address (laughs) and telephone number (laughs) full name (laughs) I, I like every time I'm editing an episode, I always think like, did I like say my full entire name and where I live? And <laughs> one episode, we'll literally just read credit applications. <laughs> just, and so, how long have you lived there? <laughs> Three years. Yeah. So, unfortunately, for would be uh, what is it Nigerian princes out there, <laughs> <laughs> this is not that episode. This is a different type Do of they- bonus episode. Is that what they do now? They just they just comb podcasts, <laughs> hoping that somebody will slip yeah. up and give incredibly personal information. Yeah, exactly. This will be the episode. <laughs> He's going to do it. So we decided for the holiday, one of our favorites, I guess, right? For, probably, Love Halloween. Probably everybody involved in the podcast. We're doing some scary stories. So we gave the prompt of, you know, whatever scary means to you. Just bring us a story to some of our favorite folks and... They definitely stepped up and knocked it out of the park. Obviously, I love every story that people told, but I think my favorite part was the initial 30 seconds before they started talking where they would say, well, so what did everyone else do for their (laughs) scary story? Because I don't want to be the only one talking about this and how everyone came in and we're like, wanted to know what everybody else said, but we wouldn't tell them. And so it's literally just their interpretation and we got very different interpretations of scary. Well, that's the funniest part, too, is that, like, every single one of them had basically, like, a different response to, okay, I got a scary story. Like, all of them are different. And, like, uh, I don't know, it'd be cool to hear what people say, but hopefully you guys enjoy this uh, post-season treat that we've got for you. We have a couple other things in mind. Definitely one of them is going to be coming up soon. Um, and we will keep you posted on that. Big names. Big names coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to lead anyone on, but we did secure a guest. I'll give you a hint. Rhymes with grad, Taisley, something <laughs> like... <laughs> no, no, just tell them it, it's, um, it rhymes with, uh, it rhymes with Rax <laughs> Heppard. <laughs> So uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about any of our stuff, but specifically we'd love to hear uh, some, some of your feedback on the Halloween episode. So hit us up at uh, podcast greater than yourself at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at uh, a podcast greater than yourself. Whoop, whoop family. Please uh, give us a, a rating and a review. If you could write something in your review, that would be even better because yes. it really helps to move us up the chain a little bit and allows more people to discover the podcast which from what we are hearing uh yet to get the negative email which i'm still waiting for happy to happy to take it I if you want to write the negative email stuttering disbelief 
but we have had a tremendous outpouring yes. of positive emails and have actually even been able to connect some people that we know with some people and help mm-hmm. people find sponsors. And that's what this is all about for us, really. I mean, it's like all we want from this is to reach out to people who are struggling or who want to learn more about the program. And, uh, and so, yeah, help us out getting to more people if you could by giving us a rating and a review. For sure. And I would just want to add that, uh, you know, we've only got a certain amount of reviews, right? But there's so many people contacting us and saying really lovely, touching things, letting us know that, like, they totally get that the niche audience for this kind of podcast is is very, very small. And, um, you know, all we ask is if, if you appreciate what we're doing, like, please, please let people know, you know, and doing a review would be a really easy way to do that. And that would help other people maybe hear this thing and maybe get on the right path too. So. Right. I would say, I would say do a review. And then also like when you're in your weekly home group and they say, are there any AA related <laughs> announcements? <laughs> and then go to Photoshop, make flyers for our podcast print those and make t-shirts out of them full color full color (laughs) printing only yeah and then uh in zoom make your picture the flyer with the info for our for our podcast tattoos i'm not seeing nearly enough tattoos it's got to be a podcast greater than yourself (laughs) tattoos don't be afraid don't be afraid to get our logo on your forehead like soundcloud rappers have made that very acceptable okay those, those guys are millionaires for saying one word over and over again over uh, what sounds like a Casio keyboard, okay? <laughs> Snap to it, people. That's all we're saying. <laughs> okay. Get this done. Enjoy the show. Thanks. So a little backstory about this. Um, I first began touring when um, I was in high school, and um, I was 17 when I went on my first like major um, national tour, and that's kind of where this um, the story takes place. Um, like I obviously no like deal. been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. Yeah. It was you know just just a normal thing, but um, <laughs> but anyways, um, it was um, I was we were on a bus tour for two and a half months. And it was really like my first time being um, like away from my parents. You know, I I grew up in a really like conservative Christian family. They always like kept a like tight grip on me, you know, so I I would have have to like hide my drinking and using a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and being on the road was my first time really like being away from them and being able to kind of like do whatever I want, you know. So that's when um, a lot of crazy shit started, started really happening in my life. You know, like that whole two and a half months, I didn't really have like a sober moment at all. And, um, and yeah, towards the end of the tour, my mental state was getting pretty gnarly. Like, um, I was starting to like hear things and, and hallucinate and, you know, cause I hadn't really slept at all a lot on the tour. So like yeah. just being fucked up all the time and not sleeping will kind of like mess with your head. And, um, and it was actually the last stop on tour. We were playing at, um, uh, Lucas oil stadium in Indianapolis and um, we were spending a week there, and we and and the the place that we were staying at was that's actually where, that's on exactly where I want to be when I'm sleep deprived and far from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was, but but it was crazy because this place, um, it was I think it was called St. Mary's in the Woods, 
And it was actually like, like some, one of the guys on tour was telling me, he's like, Hey, this place was on ghost hunters is actually like haunted and all this stuff. So I was like, Whoa, dude. And, and I guess like it used to be a nunnery back in the day or something. And he said that there was like a graveyard full of like dead nuns. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's what it's called, but is that like a cannery? I, I don't know. See, it's it's where it they is. preserve nuns. <laughs> they package and they preserve go, nuns for shipment. The nuns just mason jars full of nuns. <laughs> Je- the, yeah, the, dude, the Jeff Bezos of the 1800s is like, I need more nuns. <laughs> like mummy nuns, man. <laughs> like they're mums. <laughs> I think it's called but, a convent, um, but nunnery. That is what it is it. called. Nunnery Con- convent. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing, I guess. But there was like <laughs> wait, the nunnery is the nunnery is where they're hatched. That's what the nunnery is. <laughs> Yeah, because they're they're all virgins, so they have to be like yes. inseminated somehow. So. <laughs> oh only only a, only a pure nun comes from a virgin nun being inseminated <laughs> the, by the, the Holy Spirit. The pure, yeah, the purebred nuns. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyhow, I guess this is where they go to die too, because there's a graveyard full of nuns. It's where they're born, in. <laughs> they don't leave this place. Full of life. <laughs> yeah. God. So, so there was a there was a graveyard full of like dead nuns, I guess, from a long like hundreds of years ago. And one of the guys was like, "Hey, we should hang out in this graveyard at midnight and yeah. do a bunch of drugs." I was like, "Yeah, okay." So Perfect. we were there, and um, and we were smoking something. I assumed it was weed, but I immediately found out that it it probably wasn't because I took one hit of it. And it was like flashing different colors. And I was like, whoa, that's some good stuff, man. And we kept Electric smoking. weed. Yeah, like, and, and it was pretty gnarly. Like, I was, like, tripping out pretty hard by the end of it. And um, and somehow we, like, made it back to the hotel room. And we were just kind of like, and, and, we, and like I said, we were smoking in this, like, haunted, like, graveyard. And it was just, like, a really crazy vibe there. And now we're, like, sitting in the hotel room with some other people that we met up with. And, and we're smoking some more. And I start like really tripping out, dude. Like I start like like hearing voices, and I'm like starting to see things and get really like paranoid. I'm like, what the, dude? This is weird. And then like I start hearing like the devil talking to me, dude. And it's like <laughs> I started to, to hear the devil, and I was sitting next to this guy, and the devil told me, and it's like it's like I have to like kill this dude, like. <laughs> So I was, I was like, what was, the fuck were you smoking? Uh, to this day, I don't know. Dude. Devil weed. <laughs> it was the devil's Jesus. lettuce, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but Stay I started hearing the devil, cabbage. dude. <laughs> but yeah, I was like hearing the devil, and it told me I, I need to like hurt this guy. So I, I was like, ah, and I started like jumping on this dude, and I like oh, like started shit. strangling this guy. <laughs> I was like, can't die, like going crazy. You can't, you can't, um, no, wait, hang on, pause for a second. Yeah. You can't actually uh, confess to a murder on our podcast. No, I'm pretty sure fine. there's some kind of legal. This isn't your fifth step, okay? <laughs> I'm like, are we about to hear this dude's fifth step? No, dude. Uh, he was okay. Like, I'm, I'm not like a big dude, you know? So, like, so, like but yeah, like, the I, couple he's dudes, just like, being strangled to death by a <laughs> yeah. small guy. That's it. Yeah, no big like, deal. Like, no, it's fine. Well, I'm, I'm tall, but I'm skinny, so I don't have that much like upper body strength. So like, he was okay, but <laughs> but yeah, like like a lot of people were just like, "What the fuck?" And they and like there were other people in this hotel room just hearing me like screaming, like trying to murder this dude. So they had to like hold me down and like 
basically beat the shit out of me to get me to like shut up. They're like, shut the fuck up. And then like, I calmed down after a while and smoked some more. And then kind of, I don't remember what happened. And I don't, I don't remember what happened after that, but we were there for a week and there were a lot of like weird things that ended up happening throughout the course of that week. Like, um, I remember there was this other time where, um, I was kind of like hooking up with this girl on tour and, um, and yeah. And, and then there was one night where like I blacked out and then the next day, like she was all mad at me. I was like, what happened? Like, why are you so mad? She wouldn't talk to me. So I started asking her like, why is this girl mad at me? And I guess like I, I was, we were like in a room full of people and she was there and I ended up hooking up with like her friend in front of her and the whole room of people. And yeah, basically like, yeah, we like did it in front of everybody, and like I don't remember it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it was gnarly, man. So it was a it was a crazy week, and then yeah, he just <laughs> said it was a crazy week. Dude, yeah. that would be like a crazy lifetime. Yeah. You're like, and then Thursday came. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There were a lot of things that happened on that tour, and then at the end of that, we played Lucas Oil Stadium for like a couple thousand people and flew home, and that was it. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of that week. But when I was, when I was like 22, I was like, uh, you know, how a lot of people say like, Oh, I, I probably needed to get sober, um, at other points in time, way more than when I actually got sober. So like when I was yeah. 22, it was like <laughs> probably the most dire situation like ever for me physically. And like, I mean, like I would, I was, uh, like, if there's now, I don't want everybody from MA sending us emails, angry emails. But if there's such thing as a marijuana addict, like this was me, like hundred percent, dude. I would wake up every morning, and that probably means like twelve thirty in the afternoon, and and I was like back on living on a couch in a spare bedroom in my parents' house, and like. Every day I would wake up and I had this little bubbler that was like shaped like a dinosaur and I would I would just go Do you have one of those? <laughs> I, I had I named it the dino. It was green and it looked like a brachiosaurus. It was purple, dude. yeah. Exact same yeah, thing. It was the yeah. dino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was Barney. <laughs> Thought it was only me. Um so we would uh Barney, yeah. I would uh, we I would get up and I would uh, pack you, did you just include your fucking yeah, bubbler? Me and my you bubbler? And, you and Barney, man. <laughs> me the and royal Barney. Wee. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, the royal wee sir smokes a lot. Um, I would get, I would get up and I would, I would go drive in my, my crappy used Volvo. I would go drive the same route through all these neighborhoods around my parents' house. Every single day I would do this. And this is how, this is how horrible, like, shape I was in and how habitual and, like, broken record it was. It was, like, Groundhog Day. i get up, um, and I would grab my weed and my bubbler, and I'd get in the car, and I'd turn on some tunes, pack a bowl, and then, like, I'd start driving up the hill. My parents live maybe, like, a city block and a half from the top of the hill. And by the time I was at the top of the hill, I would have taken enough of a hit to get into a bad enough coughing fit to where I would vomit 
fucking snot all over myself. It would happen every fucking day, dude. Every yeah. day. So I'd be at the, st at the stop sign at the top of the hill, just like scrambling for like a Long John Silver's bag at the floor of my fucking car to like clean up my shirt and then hang a left and start my drive. <laughs> just like wind through these neighborhoods and and fucking uh and just get high and like crank tunes and stuff and i and i thought it was like really funny to um my like my most pure joy was there was always this old dude who would sit out in a little folding chair at the end of his driveway in this one neighborhood and uh there maybe like 5 out of 7 days he was out there and i would i would always see him like from 2 blocks away when I would turn on the street, I'd be like, "Oh shit, he's there!" And my like favorite, like my most pure joy at that point in my life was to just just cook up a huge full bowl rip, and then like right when I got by him, kind of slow down and just like out the window, just like right <laughs> on this old dude. What's wrong so, with you? <laughs> so in the rear view, this old guy's just sitting there in this like blue cloud of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is me this is my state at that point so my little cousin who's like i probably like i don't know like 15 at the time she she comes down she lives out of state she comes down and visits and we're going with some other people to mexico to like a border town just so like just to do the exact same thing, but down there, you know, just to go like get fucked up down there and call it a vacation, even though I blow smoke a, on old man. Exactly, I don't have a job. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm just gonna go. Oh, let's go relax for a while, man. <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> I had I had somehow scrounged up enough money for a couple tabs of of really good ecstasy, and so. I had my like 14 or 15 year old cousin like stuff it in her bra and we hop on a plane and for some reason that works. I guess it was before the body scanners or whatever. And we go down to this border town and we're fucking around in Mexico and like getting wasted and stuff. And then we come back and we're staying in this uh, motel and like on, close to a border town. Uh, it's kind of like in between border towns. And there's a big, like, empty old driving range behind it and stuff. And this is what made me think about this is, like, in, like, maybe 8.30 at night, this place where we've never been, we, we were just like, well, yeah, let's uh, take ecstasy and wander off into that field, you know, <laughs> near this, like, Mexican border town. So we're like, yeah, cool. And I'm, like, the responsible one, you know. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, well, at least, like, legally for her, right? So, you know, she's she literally probably weighs, like, 80 pounds. You know, she's just this tiny person. And we both take the same amount of ecstasy. And, oh, man. And, yeah, and we've been drinking and smoking and stuff. <laughs> and so we head out into this field behind the the motel thing, and it's very dark and the moon is like big and bright and stuff and you can see all the stars and shit because we're far enough to the highway and as we're walking out into the field i realize it's a driving range because there's like those big signs you know but everything is grown up there's like two and a half foot tall grass everywhere you know but then there'll be these clearings these like big circular clearings probably like 10 feet you know like big like perfect circles almost and you know like the 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 ground is like this dry cracked mud big like lines you know cracked mud and stuff and you know it's it's just like desolate and uh 
as we get into the field, like the ecstasy starts Sounds kicking like the in. Nunnery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a spooky vibe, but it was cool on X because you know everything yeah. is cool. You're like, yeah, burn me with a cigarette. I love you. Um, <laughs> so, so like, we're 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 wandering out in there, and it starts kicking in. You know, and we're like in this trippy, weird Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe. And, you know, there's these big signs with giant numbers around us. They're just weird. And, like, one of us is just like, yeah, dude, you want to, like, lay in one of these clearings and just, like, watch the fucking clouds move? And we're just like, I've never wanted anything more in my life. Let's do this. (laughs) So we just, like, lay down. And uh, I don't know how long we're laying there. But we're just, like, staring off into the clouds and watching them go by the moon and just, like, getting really hypnotized and just super rolling hard, really digging it. And, you know, we start to get the whole, like, kind of, not giggles, but, like, that slow kind of, like, laughing thing. And, and then she's just like, oh, my skin feels like it's, and I'm like, crawling, right? Like, it's moving, right? And she's like, yeah. Oh, I'm like, no. oh, my God. Like, my whole, like, you know, we're just getting all all ecstasied out and stuff. My skin is just moving. And I look down, and, like, we're just covered in these giant Mexican ants. And, like, nope. all, all of the lines, like, the cracks in the ground were just lines of ants that we just, like, laid down in these lines of ants. <laughs> and we're just, like, covered in these fucking things. And I found out nope. later from my dad, who's a horticulturist, that, like, the reason that there's those big clearings is because those ants have cut have eaten all that fucking grass mm. so we just like oh, laid man. down on all these ants and we just like get up and run just sprinting for the hotel and just like jump in the pool it, and and then you know hang out with my drunk grandma after that I think but <laughs> you just won the scariest story in the whole thing because that shit is fucking awful it was a That's good time I don't even think of that as scary it was, that was a good time <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a gay old time. Wild. That was a gay old time. Well, the first thing I thought of when you said, uh, what's a scary story in recovery? Halt! There's a scary <laughs> story. <laughs> like, could you imagine that there's an entire group of well-meaning alcoholic people out there who think that I was a bedridden, abusive alcoholic mother because I just needed a cheeseburger and a nap, you know, (laughs) that's a scary story to me. Halt is terrifying, right? (laughs) Like hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And there's an entire group of well-meaning people that, um, that believe that that's the solution to alcoholism and how I'm going to stay sober, just stay at a time. And just some little bit of nachos, you know, and a sleep. <laughs> that just isn't my experience. You know, I was thinking, what is the scariest story in my recovery? And um, it was probably when I almost died in AA. And um, so I am originally from Denver, Colorado. And, um, and about eight years before I was ready to get sober, I went to some AA meetings, you know, just out of like hilarity. Someone suggested it and I didn't know what AA was. I thought it was just like a bunch of white knuckling, not drinking, you know, I thought it was a bunch of hugging. There was going to be clapping, emotional support, you know, I thought like, it's going to be incredible. I'm here for so the clapping. Drunk, showed up to a couple AA meetings. And I loved it. I'm not going to lie. I was in my early 20s and I was like met with a woman my age and like, you know, people were like, keep coming back. And at that time, people were not asking me to return anywhere that they'd ever met me, you know, so I thought AA was great. And um, I didn't do I didn't do any of the suggested things. I just, you know, got free coffee and like loved talking about myself and my problems at meetings. They must have loved me. But um 
you know, I knew that there was something there, right? I wasn't clicking with the solution, but I knew it was there. And I had read a couple pages of that book and I knew it was in that book. Um, and I left because I was lying about my sobriety. You know, I took 30 day chip at four days sober and it's not, it's that kind of BS is who I am as a person, but like, that's not conducive to sticking around AA from my experience, you know, mm -hmm. can't really bullshit these people because they literally are bullshitters. So, so when I left, I was like, that's going to work. And Unfortunately, fortunately, it took eight more years. And during that time, you know, I met my husband, eloped and moved to Australia. I swear to God, if my children did this, I would murder them. You know, it sounds so stupid. So strange. Still married today. Whatever he's thinking, you know, but met my husband, moved to Australia and you know, I would come to meetings here because I knew that, you know, it was progressive alcoholism textbook basic middle of the road alcoholism that was progressive and throughout those eight years and i would come into meetings and in where i live um and people would just be standing up talking about their drinking talking about their drinking talking about their drinking and i'm going i don't know what the solution is but that's not it right that's not what those people had that were happy joyous and free that's not it and so I would leave and I'd come back. And I remember even once asking for a sponsor, you know, like getting real sick and like asking for a sponsor. And she said, no. And I'm like, maybe that's my excuse that this isn't going to work. And um, at the very end of my drinking, I had the worst day, you know, what like my moment of clarity came right before my worst day here. And um, I I woke up in the morning realizing that I was living in this very small town and I had Facebook message the mother's group of which every mother uh -huh. in the small town, you know, was a part of to tell them that they were white trash when I was drinking and realized that I could no longer go to the grocery store. Like I'd isolated myself so completely. I'd humiliated myself that incomprehensible demoralization that I could not go into the grocery store yeah and very quickly you know my partner was so used to me just running away from our problems said where are we going and i said well maybe america i hadn't been there in eight years and you know i came back to america and long story short i got the solution to alcoholism i got it quickly you know i recovered quickly i did the book the work out of the book quickly i helped others quickly and and i had the solution and i got to stay in america for a year and i came back here and um very quickly, I realized that things were very, very different. And um, I, every meeting that I found for five weeks was standing up, talking about their drinking, talking about their drinking, talking about the drinking. And I remember asking someone, where's the big books? And he goes, oh, you haven't read that either. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know everything about recovery, but I know the solution is in there, you know, and why aren't we talking about the solution to alcoholism? Mm -hmm. And um, I almost died in AA. Yeah. I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And, and it says AA, if two or more are together, you know, you have, you have Alcoholics Anonymous, but I am not, I couldn't find another. I couldn't find a big book solution. I couldn't find, and I just felt like I was crazy. Like I felt like I was insane. How, how do I think that AA is following the instructions in the big book and no one else does, you know? And I felt crazier and crazier and crazier. And I got sicker and sicker to the point where I told my partner, 
I have to go back to America, even if that means I need to leave you guys here. You know, I was going to leave my family because I knew I was going to die without the solution. And, um, Oh, good news though. Can I change it to a happy story? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the scary part, right? Is almost dying as a person who's been through the work in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's really scary to me. You know, it's really scary that you can get the solution, but without any fellowship, that you literally could die from that. And had very well-intentioned people giving mm-hmm. me reports, no joke, on halt literally giving me a book report on halts and how maybe there's something in the big book but it's been scientifically researched that hungry angry lonely and tired is one of the triggers for alcoholism and that's fantastic you sweet sweet old lady but that (laughs) would effing kill me and good news it did not (laughs) so that was my scariest So, I guess, I mean, I don't know how long this will take to tell, uh, but I'll just, I mean, I don't really, I guess I'll just start when I move back into my parents' place. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect spot to start. Has, has anyone here not done that multiple times? It was a great, great fallback. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did it like four times. Yeah, so this story... Uh, begins when uh, I moved back into my parents' place. <laughs> awesome spot for the story to begin. Um, but I was um, living with, with a girl, ex-girlfriend at the time, and we were... Um, I know this is an AA podcast, but I'm just going to... I'm just going to say what I was doing. I don't, we talk I don't about drugs. Oh, oh yeah, great. So yeah. I was doing a, bunch of, <laughs> doing a bunch of oxys with my ex-girlfriend. Dope. Uh, ran out of money, had to move back home to the, the parents' place, living in the basement with the ex-girlfriend. So both well, of you are in their basement? Both of us are back in my mom's basement, yeah. Awesome. And the plan was to uh, get on Suboxone and, uh, you know, quit doing oxys. Right? It's a great plan. <laughs> it was a fantastic plan. Foolproof. Uh, absolutely foolproof. Well, my girlfriend at the time, she follows the plan. She gets on the Suboxone and she stops doing the Oxys. But of course, I, you know, I was, I was just like, these things go for like eight bucks a strip, you know, like I got, I got a fat, you know, prescription. I could sell these and uh, keep getting, keep getting what I need. Right. So that's of course what I did. It's a tale as old as time. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing, nothing original here. Nothing uh, new on my part, but, uh. So that's what I did. I, I sold my prescription uh, for oxys, and then you know they. Uh, oh, this is back in November 2010. Some of you uh, of the listeners will know that this date lives in infamy. That's when Purdue reformulated uh, oxycon. <laughs> it's a sad <laughs> and, day. Yeah, and overnight, what they went we have from a moment like, of silence for <laughs> moment of silence for the old OCs. Um, let's see that yeah, overnight went from $40 a pill to like $120 a pill. Uh, so that was hard to, uh, maintain. I was doing like three or four, you know, oxys a day at that time. Mm-hmm. So here's my, here's my awesome, you know, flawless reasoning at the time was I'm already lying to my girlfriend, uh, and telling her I'm taking the Suboxone. So why don't I just sell the Suboxone and buy heroin? 
<laughs> problem Bingo. solved. Absolutely. I'm already lying, and this is so much cheaper. I can continue to get what I need doing this. So that's what I did uh, for a little while. Hard to keep that up, living in my mom's basement, living with uh, someone who doesn't know I'm doing that. <laughs> and uh, uh, eventually that all came crashing down. Um, I would see, I was like trying to like manage my heroin use with my Suboxone. You know, it was like, all right, so when I like have money, do the heroin, I run out of money, I'll save enough Suboxone so I can just like manage my, my use on the Suboxone. <laughs> but it was really difficult because you had to like time this shit, yes. right? Like, because like, do not fuck that up. <laughs> oh, dude, I fucked it up big time. <laughs> I really <laughs> fucked it up. So everyone's like, you can't take the Suboxone too early because it'll like, you know, uh, send you into precipitated withdrawals, right? We'll try and like kick all the heroin out of your system mm -hmm. and make you super sick. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I thought I waited long enough. Uh, wasn't long enough. Mm -hmm. Took a Suboxone, wasn't feeling better. Took more Suboxone, took way too much Suboxone. Uh, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't off the heroin yet. Went into precipitated withdrawal and it was, it was terrible. I, uh, it was, it was really nasty, really uncomfortable. I had to, uh, had my parents take me to the emergency room mm. and they were just like, what the hell is going on? Like, obviously something's up. Uh, you are so sick. Like this, this looks like drugs, like drug behavior. Like what's, <laughs> what's going on? It's like, mom, don't worry about it. I just need to go to the hospital. Everything will be fine. Just get me to the hospital. So I, I check into the ER and, uh, uh, you know, they're like, what is this? What's going on? I'm like, it's, you know, it's withdraws. I'm like kicking, I'm writhing. I just like having a terrible time. And, uh, eventually I finally convinced him to like, give me some, some Ativan. Cause I just, I'm just, I just can't stop, you know, like the full body writhing where you're just like contorted mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like, you have to like flex every like two seconds to get a little bit of relief. I just like, cannot, I'm like crawling out of my skin. So they finally hit me with like two doses of Ativan and I was like, okay, for a little bit, but that quickly flushed out and. I'm back into the full body withdrawals and having a terrible time. And, uh, the, uh, nurse, uh, comes into my, uh, hospital room and I just lose it. I'm like, I'm dying. Like I can't stand this. I'm like swearing at her. <laughs> and so she, you know, she, so she ends up losing it. She throws her clipboard on the ground and, and she's just like, you have got to get it together. You know, like, if you can't get it together, we're going to put you into restraints because you are a danger to yourself. You're a danger wow. to other people. Like you have got to stop freaking out. Like we're doing what we can. <laughs> you got to get it together. You know, uh, how, so, how far off the rails are you that you like push a nurse to that? Like these are the most patient yeah. <laughs> people on earth. <laughs> I know. Right. Her job is to like help me. And I'm like this 23 year old kid. And yeah, so she lost it with me. So I, I must've been just really, uh, I don't know, getting under their skin and pushing it. But uh, anyway, uh, the way I remember it, I was a victim, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The way I remember it is like, come on, it's a hospital. Make me better. I need, mm -hmm, to, right. I need, to, I need to feel better. And um, you're not making me feel better, so I'm going to kick and scream and like, you know, uh, until I can get what I need to make me feel better, right? So, um, yeah, let's see. So what happens then? I when she tells me that I'm, I'm, I'm petrified because wh what I'm hearing is she's going to put me in restraints, but I can't keep still. I can't keep from like 
full body writhing. Mm-hmm. So just the thought of being put in constraints freaks me out. Yeah. Right. Like that, that seems like a recipe for, I was like, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. If like someone tried to strap me down while I'm like kicking. Right. <laughs> That's, I don't know if I can handle that. So I like, I like, I managed to like get it together so I can like convince them to like leave the room and all the nurse, the staff, they, they leave. As soon as they left the room, I'm like, all right, I gotta make, my, I gotta make my move. Right. Like I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. So I start just tearing apart all the, you know, tearing everything off. Like I got the, like the, what do you call those electrodes uh, heart, or whatever? Yeah. The electrode heart monitor stuff mm-hmm. and pulling that off, pulling everything off. I'm like, all right, I'm going to make my move. I'm going to bolt and get out of here. And then I get everything off. And the last thing I, I, I'm plugged in on is the, is the IV. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm looking at it like, Oh man, like <laughs> <laughs> this is intense. Well, I was like, you just got to go for it. And so I like pull off the tape and I just, I just pulled that thing out. I had no idea how long it was. I'm like, pulling this thing. <laughs> and then boom, there it goes. And I don't know, like, I didn't know this was a thing, but uh, there's a lot of pressure, I guess, that builds up in my, <laughs> and I pulled it out. Blood just starts squirting. <laughs> it was like, I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, so I grabbed like my gown and then I put my gown on my arm with one hand to stop it from bleeding. And it's the most like, sanitary thing in the room for sure. Oh, this is insane, right? And then I grab all my clothes with my other hand and I just like run out of the hospital room and I'm like running down the hall, like blood dripping and like my ass is hanging out in like a hospital gown. And I'm just like running down the hall, like trying to get out of there. I get to the, you know, the waiting room. And my poor mom is like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? And I was like, Mom, we got to go. <laughs> we got to get out of here. And, oh God, bless her heart, my poor mother. I can't believe it. Convince her to, to take me out of there. And I, uh, yeah, I get out of there and I, and I drive home. And uh, so I escaped from the hospital and uh, eventually was able to, I guess, I don't know, take enough Suboxone or something. I don't really remember. It's kind of hazy at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ended up uh, uh, finally getting to, getting to sleep somehow. And I wake up the next morning and it all came rushing back to me. And I was just like, oh, boy, what a, what a <laughs> night. What a turn of events. Um, so I guess the ending of the story is uh, that morning I, I walk upstairs I uh, go into the kitchen and my, my parents' place. And my whole family's there. Like all my brothers came into town and, you know, their wives are there and everybody's there. And I walk up and I, they're all, it was basically going to have an intervention on me. And I just <laughs> said, yeah, right. <laughs> hold your breath. Like you guys don't need to say anything. I'll, uh, I'll go to treatment. <laughs> I was defeated. There's nothing I was going to do. They're all sitting there with like <laughs> folded letters in their hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like ready to be like, look, we know something's up, you know. We suspected it for a while, but last night, because it's not like you can come upstairs and be like, I need to go to the ER. Kind of had an expired hot pocket last night. Not feeling, <laughs> not feeling great. <laughs> and you're doing the junkie dance. Yeah, I love the like uh, the universal blind spot. Uh, of like, I've got the IV out of my arm and I've got my gown holding my arterial spray. What's the plan now? <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> get out. This place, the hospital, they're not making me feel better. So, like, I got I to gotta go and <laughs> right. make myself feel better. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to just sit in the bath. I would yeah. just, like, eight hour, take these, like, eight-hour baths. It was the only thing that gave me any relief. Mm-hmm. from the leg cramps and body aches and sweating and you know the oh god Shitting the smell the smell <laughs> that was what always got me you, Do you remember that like, like yeah it's like your your flesh is rotting you just you like, like smell i yeah. ne- like i would be like what and that's and the yawning oh my god i would yawn yeah. constantly just couldn't stop yawning the nose would drip yeah oh yeah. my god i i've done that before with suboxone i was like I was like on Suboxone and then I went off Suboxone to actively become a active heroin addict again. <laughs> Made a conscious decision. Recommit myself. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it was very train spotting. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, quickly, probably 90 days or less, you know, completely went, ran out of all resources and, um, and still had the Suboxone script that I was selling, you know, same yeah. exact thing. And, uh, knew I was going to go into withdrawal. So I was, but I didn't know about the don't take it too soon thing. Mm-hmm. So like, as soon as I could, I just started taking Suboxone again and I did the exact same thing. Like I took two that didn't work. So I took two more. Yeah. <laughs> I think I ended up taking two more after that. And then it was two, like it was two days of like, I thought, I mean, I've been withdrawn. I've withdrawn like yeah. hundreds of times, but like that was the craziest thing ever like how many times did i try that balancing act of like having a stash of pills and and being like gradually more and more physically dependent and like taking more and more every day and like every single like ten thousand nights i went to bed uh so high that i was like Sixty forty, I might stop breathing while I'm asleep, <laughs> and like, and like in the, uh, but then dr- as I was like drifting off to sleep, I would have like this very hopeless feeling of like, I am fucked. I'm in this like holding pattern that's just gonna kill me, and then it would be followed by this rush of hope where I was like, tomorrow, I'll just stop. I just won't. Mm-hmm. I just won't use anymore. I'll just be done. And like, there you go. and I would just feel like, like, I, I think probably literally like a hundred times minimum, I fell asleep, like hopeful thing. And like, like, cause I'm high as shit. I'm like, well, that's just, it. it'll be just that easy. I just won't fucking do this tomorrow. It's just, it's just over. And then mm-hmm. that feeling of like, maybe on the rare times out of that hundred or whatever, when I was, when I was able to you know, be awake the next day for eight hours without picking up. Um, there would be this moment in the day when I'm walking up the stairs and I'm like three quarters of the way up the stairs and I get that feeling like in my thighs, like my thigh muscles, where it's like my suddenly like my whole body feels like a hundred thousand years old. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh shit, dude. Oh god. And then like that panic would hit. It was just like why in the middle of the night did I take like four more pills? <laughs> oh god! That I could have tapered off worst. with. You know what I mean? Just so. Oh god! Uh, it's the worst, dude. So and so many times, dude, so many fucking times. It's like, well, strap in. But then it's just, it always just goes to this like panic to find something, to find anything. I'm mm-hmm. just like, well, I, I don't know. People keep talking about kratom. I guess I'll fucking try whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's too funny though. Cause when you finally reconcile to yourself that like, Oh God, I'm gonna have to go through the withdrawals that like, you're like, it's like the mad scramble of like, can I figure something out? And then like, when all hope is lost, you're like, fine, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tough it out. And there's that feeling of like, I don't know, you just sort of like give in and you accept your fate and you're like, I'm gonna go through this cycle, right? And then it's so insane because like day six comes, I start feeling a little better, and then I'm like, well, like <laughs> this time's yes. gonna be different. <laughs> I feel, I feel better. Like I'm just, I'm just not gonna use more than two days in a row, so I don't have to go into the withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> Brilliant. Forget I got re- all of that. I got really good at like the the Walgreens uh, withdrawal home kit. You know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> buy all the stuff and like, you know, try to like smoke a bunch of weed that first day and mm-hmm. just try to like say like just anything. You know, like I will say the only this is my PSA. The only thing that I've ever found that works fully is meth. <laughs> Dude, I have done that so many times. Where I it's quit, the best. Like, quit doing coke by like shooting heroin. Quit doing heroin by like, shooting coke or meth, and just like, yeah. hop back and forth. <laughs> it's the best. Like, I honestly, I will say, like, if if you didn't get the you know all the awful side effects that come with meth, meth is a wonder drug. <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible drug. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm gonna throw up right now. <laughs> I I did actual meth, like not just like shitty crank. I did actual mm-hmm. meth one time and the cops showed up at my house. <laughs> it was funny because like the I, 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 Wait, I, thought, actually? You, I thought you meant like because it was so good that you were like <laughs> hallucinating the cops showed up. No, no, no. This, ha- this I mean, literally, the real cops yeah. showed up? Well, okay, no, yeah, really the cops came. There's like seven Wherever cops I do meth, in my the house. fake cops show up. Right, exactly. <laughs> No, it was really funny because uh, uh, I was telling that uh, story to a few friends outside a meeting one time, and a guy I sponsor was there. <laughs> and I literally only got that line out to start the story. I was like, I did real meth one time, and the cops came to my house. And then the guy I sponsor goes, well, did it have anything to do with the meth? <laughs> no. No, un- unrelated. It was a very quiet meth use, you know? Right. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was just, I was meditating in a corner all night on meth. Yeah. It was like, right. Nothing to do with the meth at all. Not carpet surfing at all. Right. Yeah. Mm-mm. You know, I have a buddy who was a real bad, uh, crack addict and he would, when he would come home, he would take, uh, and break off a little bit of crack and throw it in his living room because he's like, well, I'm going to be down there later anyway. I might, no! as well, I might as well give myself no! something fine. No. <laughs> Oh, the worst That's part is a like, bad strategy. No, I thought it was thinks, great. How many times he thinks he finds it and realizes right. it's not? Yeah. When I was at college, um, it was the first time I ever lived by myself, way too young and inexperienced to be living by myself. I was 18 in a different city, didn't know anyone. Um, <clears throat> and just like, like, like I did in every place I ever lived, just like immediately found whoever could like get me what I need. Um, and at that time it was like mainly liquor. Um, and then later like, you know, other stuff, but I, uh, I, this one night, I still don't know exactly what it was, a combination of alcohol poisoning, food poisoning. I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, all my friends who were around at that time thought I had alcohol poisoning. I thought I had food poisoning. Long story short, I was in the hospital for three days and... The, um, 
like I woke up, I just could not stop vomiting. It was just like, and it was for like, it was like four or five hours straight. Just, mm-hmm. and it was just like, dude, you know, I'm, I'm like calling like the only three people I know there to help me. And somebody, they take me to like this, <clears throat> take me to like a dock in the box thing. And these guys think I have appendicitis. And then like, I mean, I, and I'm in that, that thing where you're just like, your body is drained. It's just like, I am just exhausted. I feel like, I feel like my guts are like made of tinfoil. I'm just like, this is the worst. And so then they're like, you need to go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital and we're sitting there in the waiting room. And it was like, there's so many vivid, just gross memories. Like every, everything is like amplified and gross, like a Michael Bay movie. Like everything's just like, you know, like shiny and, And like grainy and high contrast. And I remember there was this like old Indian woman who was brought in on a gurney and she was like just kind of plunked next to me and her feet were bare and they were sticking out of the uh, sheet and they were kind of like right into my face. And I guess her grandkid was there, this little kid, and he was like running around and he was like, he had these this pack of Ritz crackers and he was just like sticking Ritz crackers into her toes the cracks between oh, the toes. god yeah and it was just like right there in my face and then on my left there was this woman eating a giant spicy pickle and it was like the combination of these two things it was just like like i was i was just sitting there like writhing and so they get me back into the thing and i'm like uh, i guess i guess this indian woman's dead i don't know because you're not reacting to this at all and so they get me back into the uh i like i get into a room and the next thing i know it's like three days later like i i just like lose all this time and my my mom has come up And like, I've been in and out of consciousness and I've been like, um, they always had a hard time getting a vein on me for an IV. And so they did it in the back of my left hand, Mm -hmm. which is like, I guess the only place they could find a vein. And like, I have memories of just waking up during that three days every once in a while and being like, my hand hurts. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Um, you know, check the IV and like, they wouldn't check it. I don't know why. Or they would just look at it and be like, yeah, it's good. You're good. Um, so day three, my mom's there. My mom's on the right side. This nurse comes in and I complain again. And then she like picks up my hand and my hand is like swollen like three times the size it's supposed to be. It looks like a giant pale catcher's mitt. It's like this big poofy thing. <laughs> and she goes, uh, there's like a word for it. I can't remember what it's called, but it's where like the IV is just like, it's just like going into your skin. Right, all the stuff. So I still feel like dehydrated and disgusting because none of it's going into my. Oh my god! (laughs) And so, and so she she's like, "I'll be right back," and she's being like calm and stuff. And I'm I'm just thinking like, "Okay, it's gonna be like a simple thing or whatever." She comes back and she holds my hand, and then she just yanks the fucking IV out of my hand. And when she does, it looks like this like, it looks like a like a donut. It looks like a donut with a really small hole. And and then suddenly just blood just starts just like gushing out of this hole. And she takes her fucking thumb and just jams it in that hole and just squeezes the shit out of my hand. And I just oh reflexively God. like make a fist in my right hand, like start to move, and my mom like grabs my arm. <laughs> I'm just like, You're gonna knock her out. I'm just like, I'm, and I'm sitting there just writhing, just screaming. This this lady digs her thumb into my hand. It was so, oh my god, oh my it was god. so painful. I couldn't help but think about that when you were talking about. It. I'm just like, what are you doing to me, lady? Yeah, <laughs> flood of it was like a jelly donut kind of nightmare yeah. thing. Really, I, I had no idea that like blood would squirt out because it's like a vein. I 
<laughs> well, it's, it, it makes sense, the whole blood pressure thing, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because your body's like a vacuum, right? You know? Yeah, I guess. Hmm. Okay, so this is the story of the last Halloween that I had while I was still actively using. So let me just set the stage. I was living in Colorado. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was um, a like quasi pinup model. And I was heavily strung out on meth and drinking a lot. Um, she knew about the drinking. She did not know about the meth. At all? No. It's an important detail. Were you smoking meth? Yes. Okay. And snorting it. <laughs> Snorting I, mean, I think the snorting just kind of... <laughs> Were you boofing it? I, was, I never did that, and I, I wasn't um, intravenously injecting it. So, Did uh, you ever so, do it through a didgeridoo? No, okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, uh, so we were living in Colorado. And she had a new uh, calendar coming out, and they did. A, they were doing a Halloween party release party for the calendar that was going to come out like the next year or whatever. And so um, we were going to Denver to like um, be a part of this Halloween party. We we're going to stay in this like real nice hotel, and this is like this whole thing. And um, I was working at a car dealership at the time, so I and I so I borrowed a Range Rover. We drove to Denver. We're like checking this fancy hotel. We Big get time. all dressed up. Uh, full zombie makeup suit, the whole deal. Go to this party, completely uh, <laughs> like high the whole time, and uh, um, we get there. I immediately become extremely jealous of every man in the room who is even looking at her, and uh, keeps at sneaking the, off to the at the party for the pinup calendar that she is featured in. Right, where okay. she was half naked next to a vehicle. Um, I was expecting a bunch of car nuts. You guys are horny. <laughs> I was so, oh, I got so mad. I was so, we get in a huge fight, a huge meth induced fight. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we leave early. And she's pissed because we're supposed to be there. Like, that was it. We were yeah, just yeah. going there. And then we were going to be there, and we were going to get shitty drunk and whatever. We get in a huge fight. We're, I'm driving us back, and I've had like two or three drinks at this point, plus whatever we had at the hotel or whatever. And we get in this huge fight, and we're like yelling at each other on the highway, driving around. And um, we go, uh, we're driving back, and we somehow like amend whatever had happened. We get back to the hotel. We figure out that there's a Dave and Buster's like within walking distance of the hotel. And we're like, well, we got to try to make a night of this, you know? So we head on over to the Dave and Buster's. Can I just say that I've done that exact fucking thing? (laughs) The exact thing. Exact thing. Really? Yes. Where I'm just like, fuck, post fight. And then you're just like, well, there's a Dave and Buster's in that mall. (laughs) (laughs) So... We go to the Dave and Buster's. I do the like the unlimited gameplay with like the you get the souvenir cup. Like there's like so much booze in it, you know. Sam and, Adams. Uh, the whole time, like every twenty minutes, I'm sneaking off to hit the meth pipe in the bathroom, you know, and uh, just getting more and more fucked up, drinking more. So we just play 
uh, I don't even honestly like after at this point like I have a picture from this night that I still have, <laughs> and this was like tor- I still had eight months before I got sober, <laughs> but my face is all fucking picked apart. I weighed about a hundred and at that point I probably weighed about one hundred and forty five pounds. Like as I sit here today, I weigh one hundred and seventy pounds. 145. When I checked into rehab eight months later, I weighed 127 pounds. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, so we so we go back to the hotel and uh, she is shit faced like she's wasted. So I'm like carrying her back. I was really intoxicated as well. But meth seems to help with that. And um, (laughs) (laughs) so it's a little better off than her. I, uh, hot tip. I put her to bed and I, yeah, it'll sober you right up <laughs> just like that even better than coke this um, podcast brought to you by meth <laughs> and i will take that money too <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, I immediately um uh go in the bathroom smoke some more meth and then get her phone and spend the next five hours searching her phone for any traces Uh, of cheating or texting other guys going through her Facebook just until the sun comes up to at which point I sneakily crawl into bed and pretend that I'm sleeping while my heart (laughs) is just like this couple hours later she rolls over and is like you know hung over and like wants to go get brunch and I'm just like yeah it's a great idea (laughs) Let's go do that. God. So yeah. that's my uh yeah, I can that's feel, my final I can feel every moment of that. I had I had literally such a similar thing where it's just like I'm like I but my thing was like we it was Valentine's Day and we got this cool old hotel downtown and like the 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 utter failure to see objective a reasonable view of my own life and my capabilities in the throes of my addiction is just so outstandingly hilarious because it's just mm-hmm. like the whole plan like you're saying like you have this plan and it's like oh here's this is just of course that'll work of course that'll <laughs> happen and like my plan was just like oh we're going to so we're going to have a stroll through downtown it's a nice night We'll we'll walk by the galleries and go to this nice restaurant. And by the time we get to the restaurant, I am freaked out by how high I am, and and just have to like power drink to try to like manage how high I am, you know. And right. then and then fast forward to the Dave and Buster's and the fucking like just exact same thing. And the whole like she's asleep and I'm I'm trying to get higher to somehow not be so high. It's just like. <laughs> What is happening here? Literally, the beginning of the night, I, 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 I would have signed a blood oath that, like, here's how it's going to go. Right. Why on earth would it ever get fucked up? Mm-hmm. There's no way this is going wrong. Right. Oh, when was this? So this was approximately like maybe three weeks before I was like back in the program ready to actually go because I had been beaten into a sense of state of reasonableness. Um, 
So, so it was in 2016. It was December 2016 is when this went down. And I remember it because Star Wars uh, Rogue One came out the next day. And I had to go see Star Wars Rogue One with this tainted evening <sighs> under my belt <laughs> from the night before. And I was like, man. Um, Rogue One was a low point so, for me, too. Rogue One was, it was a low point. And I was like, <laughs> which, you know, I wish it hadn't been because that's my favorite one that's come out um, out of all of that Disney baloney. But anyways. Oh, welcome to Star Wars Nerd Podcast. <laughs> I literally could fill an hour with my Star Wars Discord. We've talked about that it's, before. <laughs> like the uh, I Yeah, I don't like the Disney ones, but. I do like the. Yeah, I'll, I'll one day, one day, I'll show you guys the PowerPoint that I made uh, about why <laughs> Disney ruined Star Wars. It's a whole PowerPoint. What well, did it make your fourth? Did points. it make your inventory? Have I was going to say it's like an inventory. I about it. It's I'm like the steps again. how how Disney wor- ruined Star Wars: colon No, it's not resentment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine, but anyways, this um, this came out. So this was the day before Rogue One, and so you can probably look up the exact date. Um, but this is absolutely like the moment that I was like, whoo, I got it. I should probably do something <laughs> about this. Um, so I had been living with my parents because I'd just gotten, uh, or I'd gotten myself evicted. So I was living with my parents and, um, you know, I was holding, holding a job and I was able to pay them rent. Um, but I was still drinking. And a lot of it was just hiding how much I was drinking, you know, doing the whole like, oh, I'm fine thing. Um, so one night I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm going to go meet some friends out at this karaoke bar. I didn't have any friends. I wasn't meeting anybody anywhere. I was going to drink by myself at this place that was really cheap. And um, so I went, drove out there. And thankfully, my parents live kind of out in the country, closer to like the cow area. <laughs> And um, the cow so I driven into town, the cow district, <laughs> the cow. And well, really, it's the horse place or you got the cow district and you got the horse place. And so they live near the horse place. And um, I'm trying not to name places that sound too specific. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so I driven into town, gotten good and stinking drunk at this little cheap, dinky little under. It was like a it's like a basement bar and you could smoke in there still. Nice. Um, so I'd gotten good and drunk. And this is when I had started this year, the last year of my drinking, I had started to to black out whenever I drank. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was. I was blacking out almost immediately. Um, so that happened. And I guess I drove that drunk, um, started driving back to my family's house. Um, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll guess I'll share it from the uh, point of view that I had when I came to. So I, I, I came to out of this blackout and I had on my body backwards, like a surgical, you know, surgical, uh, what's, what's the thing that the doctors wear? Like a surgical a gown. gown. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that something you always there was like, a, you frequently had access no. to? <laughs> No, no, no. It was a poncho. I had put on a poncho that was in my car um, backwards, like a surgical gown. And I had a pair of like kitchen scissors that I also had in my car. 
Okay. Are you a, are you a surgeon for the listeners? We no. Clarify that. Okay. No. I am absolutely, absolutely not a surgeon. And at this time, I don't even think I was a science major yet. <laughs> so, or maybe it was just my first semester. What? Regardless, I had no business doing this. Uh, and I came to, and I've got these scissors, and I've got this poncho. And I'm looking down at the ground and I came to it and I've got these feelings of rage. Like I'm like, <sighs> and I'm like breathing super heavy and it's just all this anger. And I look down and I realize that I have cut through the sternum of a roadkill raccoon. And I'm just staring at its guts splayed out in the street in the headlights of my car. My car's still running. Are you, in I, the, are you in the country at this point? I'm, yeah, I'm in the country. Thank God. Because otherwise, I would have got snatched up by somebody. <laughs> Traffic and whizzing I'm looking by. Down at, it was, it, I mean, I am so glad no one ever takes those roads. And uh, so maybe looking down at this raccoon, taking those roads more often. <laughs> I mean, maybe they should be. At this point, I think it was about four o'clock in the morning. So. You know, right before the the tractor people get up and start moving. So I was like, I've got these feelings of rage. And I think that was the scariest part of it was like, if I had come to and I had been like, you know, that sense of curiosity is what was driving this. It was not. It was pure anger and like hatred. And I just remember being like, holy shit. So immediately, the first thing I did was throw up, mm. puked everywhere because I was disgusted with myself. And then I'm like panicking and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this raccoon. I don't know what to do with this poncho. Are people going to come after me now? Are they going to drive by and wonder what happened? Was the so poncho I, like, like covered in blood? The poncho's covered in blood. Everything's <laughs> oh covered God. in blood. Are we sure There's it was a roadkill and that you didn't I'm just, positive. Like, just I don't chase think this drunk, thing down? <laughs> I do not think that drunk would have been capable of snatching a live raccoon. <laughs> so I'm going with its roadkill. I don't, if I caught it, I don't remember catching it, but I think it was already dead. I like the idea of you like barefoot, just like sprinting across a field to like to like well, grab sadly, this raccoon. I was like kind of dressed up because I had gone to the bar. Hence the poncho. So I was like, hence the poncho. <laughs> well, no, it was it was like one of those rain ponchos. This is one of my one of those more formal ponchos. ponchos. <laughs> this is that formal poncho. Um, so I I, I like wrapped it up. It was, it was like a plastic poncho that you take to like a football game or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And we have, a, I'm literally have a imagining like a soccer. poncho just like no. <laughs> soaked in blood. No, no, no. Okay. It was like wearing, a yellow one. That makes start sense. knitting until, until she got sober. So no. Yeah. Knitting is a sober it. game. Okay. Right. That's uh, gotcha. that was not on my mind back gotcha. then. Gotcha. So I like, I, t- I took off this poncho and I wrapped this dead raccoon up <laughs> and I'm like crying and I just thrown up and there's like snot coming out of my nose and I'm like panic stricken at what I had just done. Uh, and I'm, I, so I dragged it off to the side of the road and like dumped it in the bushes and I got back in my car and I drove in complete silence the rest of the way home. And then I got in my shower and I took the hottest shower that I've ever taken in my life. And I just like sat there on the floor, like rocking back and forth. And I was like, <gasps> That wasn't me. That was some serial killer type shit. What mm-hmm. what's going on? This ain't cool anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was it, it was fine, but now it's getting weird. <laughs> so <sighs> so what I'm guessing from all the meetings I've been to is that 
what happened next was you, you got sober because you went to a meeting and it happened to be a meeting where you finally heard someone tell your story about yeah i finally heard someone else say the raccoon poncho story one time i dissected a dead squirrel and i was like you've been reading my mail no honestly i think the thing that really got me because i had been i'd been in and out of like treatment and stuff and i had done the steps on worksheets but i'd never read the book and i think um one of the things i remember first underlining was in the uh description of the real alcoholic where it talks about he does insane, incredible, tragic yeah. things while drinking. Mm. And I was like, there I've done, uh, that was an insane, incredible, tragic thing that I did. <laughs> and, so you know, there's many other instances, but that was the one that my sordid stuff started to be reflected out into the world rather than onto myself. Because usually it would just be like, you know, Marty doing things that's going to harm her. <laughs> her body or, you know, all that good stuff. But this was the first time that it was like reflected out into the rest of the world. And I was like, if I'm capable of doing something like that while I'm drunk, then, you know, that's not, you know, what's next? Is it going to be like a person? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, I was panic stricken. I, I just, I was, that was, that was the moment that I was like, okay. So I, I drank for like two weeks after that. And then uh, finally hung my hat up and walked back into this AA meeting that I'd gone to drunk a few times, and they let me back in. So. Yeah, that's bad. All right, JW. Is that your fake name? Yeah. <laughs> what do you got for us, bud? No, no, no. I might have to give you a little backstory to this, some of this. Um... But my, my uncle Denny, he had passed away. Actually, it was um, December fourteenth. Um, now I I stopped drinking at like I'll say my sobriety date so like November sixth. So, and also like I was saying earlier, I was in prison for actually like three plus years. Um, and during that time, actually, this is like this uncle was my closest like family relative as far as you know outside of my immediate family. But he also stepped in when I was in prison and took, like really helped out with my son, took him to Boy Scouts all the time and stuff like that. And then he was there for my daughter. So he was like kind of like a surrogate father for yeah. my kids for, for a big chunk of time. Um, and even afterwards, he was real involved with my with my uh, with my kids. Um, so he had passed away. Right. And uh, let's see, November 6th, I actually stopped everything. And uh, and like between November 6th and when he died, I'm actually I made amends to him before he passed away. Um, but also I was like looking around for solution based meetings. Like I couldn't find shit like around here. It's, you know, don't drink and go to meetings, put the plug in the jug and, you know, make it to a meeting. Even if your ass falls off kind of nonsense. I like that you said around here. It's a good thing you said around here. Cause that way you didn't narrow it down at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just say in my part of the country, <laughs> it's funny. The whole thing with zoom is, is like every time that, uh, every solution person I know, every time that you go to a meeting somewhere else, they're like, Oh, Oh, they must have great recovery where you're from. And then you're just like, 
no it's it's horrible here <laughs> i love that right. there's like i love that there's people who are like uh, yeah no i heard there's like pockets in texas where it's really popping off or like <laughs> like there's these like mystical like places in the united states where it's like no i heard i heard in ups upper northwest iowa yeah. that's where the real fire recovery is happening and there's like one meeting there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like no it sucks there's everywhere. one big book dude at that one meeting yeah and there's he's one the one book in all of iowa on zoom yeah exactly <laughs> they have to share it <laughs> so all right so uh, so um to do like literally i'm driving around all across the state um trying to find solution meetings because i knew i was listening to takes like chris r and and it's got peter m and uh i found i actually found this conference that was going on in pennsylvania so i drive out there which is a, a little bit of a ways for me to go see chris r actually i called chris r said, hey, where are these meetings at? Because I can't find them, and I know you're everywhere, and you know everybody. He puts me in some touch with some people. I'm getting to a point. So we go and see Chris R. Actually, I took my wife with me uh, on November or December 14th. And it was like they went through the steps. Actually, Chris S. is there, who's from my state. Um, and that's where I started really hooking up with some solution people. But I go there, and, and actually that day my uncle passed. So it's kind of a little bit of a backstory. So I go and, you know, it's, I'm, a, I'm upset, but I, I go to work, right? And I work in a, a place where there's a, a meat slicer. Um, so I'm cleaning and, and basically the store is dead. There's nobody in there. And I'm like, I lift up the meat slicer. Now I sent you a picture of it so you understand. Like this thing is heavy. It has a kickstand, right? Yeah, it's a deli so slicer. I put the, yes, I put the kickstand up. And trust me, like I've worked in restaurants and, and around food and these kinds of equipment for a long time. Like, I'm careful. I don't want to get hurt. Like, this shit's dangerous. So I put it up and I'm like cleaning stuff. And I feel a presence. I literally feel a presence. And I know it. it's my uncle. And he literally died like it was either the day before or because this is either Sunday or Monday. I can't remember. I'm not really sure. Um, so I felt it. Like, I felt him there. I'm going to say, hey, Uncle Denny, how are you? And he starts talking to me, and, and it's, you know, it's not like a voice in the clouds or nothing like that. And he's like, hey, stop doing what you're doing. I'm like, what are you talking about? You you see what I'm doing. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, meaning, because, I, I mean, I have this feeling in me that he knows what's going on, that I'm trying to find the right, the, the solution. Like, where to go to find these people who are actually going to give me the steps and, mm -hmm. and help me instead of what I had found in the past. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You, you see what I'm doing? And I'm like, literally, the freaking slicer falls on my hand. Like, like no. not to, it, it was to the point at, like, not enough to do damage, which it could. It could probably break my arm uh, where I had my arm. But enough to, like, hurt me a little bit, but not, like, any real permanent damage. And I'm telling you, like, dude, I don't move this thing. Like, <laughs> I'm really careful. And I'm like, hey. I see, and I'm like, you didn't need to do that. It was him. I fucking swear to God, it was him. He's like, you didn't need to do that. I'm like, you didn't need to do that. And he's like, yes, I did. You're not paying attention. I'm like, he's talking to me. I'm like, you see what I'm doing. I'm doing the right thing. And he's like, well, listen, don't do the shit that you've been doing to these kids. Like, that's it. And I'm like, all right. I do. Like, I just start crying. Like, and it makes me tear you up now. Like, <laughs> like I, I start crying and I felt him leave. Like, he was gone. But but he wanted me to know, like, like, yo, you need to get with the right people and get with the solution. Um, you know, and, and I was doing that. And, and the funny thing is, I was talking to my wife today because, uh, I mean, I, I, I've, not, I've, I've attempted to tell other people the story and it's not worked out for whatever reason. 
Um, but there's maybe like four or five people who know about this. I don't really talk about it too much. But me and my wife were driving home. And I said, hey, do you remember that day, you know? She's like, oh, yeah. Like when we went to the that speaker commitment thing, uh, the, the conference. She's like, yeah. Uh, like She's like, my uncle was there. Like she said, she's like, I saw him three times. She said he wasn't really like there. He, It's like, she's like, it was more like he was just checking it out. Like to see what was going on. She like she swears to God that she saw him like three different times like that day, and she didn't know when she when she had seen him that he actually passed away that day. I mean, we kind of found out after the fact after we left. Um, huh. But yeah, that shit. I mean, it's it's not a scary story. It's a ghost story. It has to do with recovered. Uh, so first like of all, really, my my, my initial reaction is this is the most lucid conversation with a, a ghost I've ever heard of. <laughs> There's like so much dialogue. <laughs> this is like you're sitting there reading the newspaper to each other. <laughs> it was probably like three, four sentences worth of shit. <laughs> I think, an incredible amount of interaction. I think, and like, let me start by saying that's that's a very touching story for sure. But I I think that the anybody who's listening to this podcast right now is only disappointed that this story doesn't end with you like cutting the tip of your dick off with that deli slicer. <laughs> right. Like uh, how are you going to bring in a deli slicer and you don't cut something off? I know it's unfortunate. <laughs> like no offense to your uncle, but you know, yeah. yeah. Can we start again? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know I chopped up half my hand and I got the message across and now I'm in, and I'm permanently sober forever. <laughs> Mine, minus my hand. <laughs> There's always I can't those drink dudes anymore. when you work in a deli who have like a perfect uh, cheese slice out of their hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, JW, I liked your story. For sure, dude. Mm, thanks. Dope. So um, have you been sober yeah, yeah. ever since then? Oh, yeah. Thanks to my uncle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I told you to quit fucking around. All right. Actually, I, I actually, like, the night it happened, I came home and I called my aunt. And I'm like, hey, something happened. I said, do you do you want to know about this or not? I said, I, I cannot talk about it on the phone because, like, it really it brings me to tears. Um, and she's like, yeah. Well, I said, well, I said, all right, I'll send you an email. So I typed this shit up, copied and pasted, dude, and I've used Word forever. I know how to freaking send emails and copy and paste and sent it, like, once. And she's like, oh, I didn't get it. I said, well, all right, let me do it again. Copy and paste, send it again. Send it to like I think my wife or my daughter. Dude, I don't know. Honestly, to this day, I still don't, don't know if my man ever got it because she never, she never like said, "Oh yeah, like I got it." And we read it and blah blah blah. Like she's never mentioned it. But the one I sent to my daughter and my, my wife, I went back and checked through the thing because I asked them, "Where the hell's the, the email?" I go back in my email and the email is blank. Like I sent a blank email. But I know I didn't send a blank email. I know I copied and pasted. I know how to do this crap. Like, I've tried to do this a few times and, and tell people. Hmm. That's why I just stopped talking about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny you got so first. First off, I I was hoping that where that was going to go was that she emailed you back and she was like, "Your uncle Dominic hated deli meats." <laughs> <laughs> but, but secondly, um, the. Uh, <laughs> I forgot my my actual point. <laughs> I can't remember my actual thing. I had a real thing, and then the joke was better. <laughs> I think it's actually, I think it's actually illegal in the state that he's from to be against deli meats. 
<laughs> Probably. Barry Wisconsin in Capicola. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. There was like a there was like a three or four week there I you know, I couldn't even tell you for sure how long it was, but there was a protracted period of time where my girlfriend had to wake me up by giving me sternum rubs if if you know where it's like you will you cannot be shaken awake she had to like like a like you're in a hospital like elbow or knuckles to my sternum to get me to wake up and it didn't even dawn on me i was just yeah i mean i'm a heavy sleeper (laughs) i'm a quirky guy (laughs) (laughs) like fucking smelling salts below your face My boyfriend's crazy. So charming. All right. Senator Ted. Smash uh, smash me with a horror story, Senator Ted. Let's hear this. All right. For my scary story, I'm going to... So I keep... I have two folders that I keep on my desk, and I used to keep them in my backpack before the, the pandemic. This one has my first inventory on the left. It's got my resentments, my fears, and my sex inventory. And then these are all blank. And then I still have my, my list, my first list of people to make amends to. And I have them crossed off. And I have the reason, you know, why I owe them amends. This folder is from my <laughs> my time in IOP. Uh, I'm already this terrified. Folder, this folder has, and I've also added my, this is from my weekly, um, relapse prevention meditation class that I took. Mm-hmm. So in this folder, I have very chill. All of my notes from therapy, handwritten notes. I also have inspirational quotes that they would give us every week. <laughs> nice. Why? Now I'm confused. Why aren't those just like uh, taped up around Strewn about How do you? They're behind my monitor. They're up here. Uh, okay, okay. Okay. I was okay. making sure you took them down. They're all covered us. on your bathroom mirror. There's, right. there's one square where you can see your face. I have my first step worksheet packet, mm-hmm. and I have my journey that I had to do one week. Ooh. But what I'm going to read for my scary story is my alcohol letter, my goodbye letter to alcohol that they had us write on our last day. Oh, this is like a graduation gift to yourself from... Okay. It is, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm honestly very nervous about reading this because I don't (laughs) remember precisely what it says. Okay. So the first... You can't see this, but it says alcohol. (laughs) Seems appropriate. Like I addressed it, you know? (laughs) What is alcohol's address? Right here, guy. Okay. It's our heart. Oh. Okay. Dear alcohol. <laughs> like, I knew that's how it was going to start, but it was still funny. Well, so I crossed out alcohol, and I wrote beer, and then parenthetical. Usually middle shelf domestic cans, but at various intervals, Pilner, Pilsner Sours, IPAs, and 40 ounces of malt liquor. Here, here's what I'm, I literally, like what I just heard was, already. I heard the counselor in the rehab be like, now, Ted, alcohol. It's senator. You know, sorry, senator. Senator. Um, you know, let's be more specific about this. 
Because I want to make sure you're writing this to your drug of choice. It's not the alcohol you're addicted to. It's <laughs> the Pabst Blue Ribbon you're addicted to. <laughs> you're habituated the... to. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the 40s of malt, of, of uh, Cobra is mm. probably King know, Cobra. Very classy. Yeah, all right. Oh, boy. I just wanted to let you know that I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Good start. I'm not mad. Wait, 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 I... wait, 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 wait. Were you being a wise ass when you wrote this? I don't remember. I think I think I was trying to be charming. If I'm, if I'm, I think I was trying to be quirky <laughs> it's, it's and got, charming. It, yeah, it's got manipulation written all over it. hundred yeah, percent. Faked into the cake. <laughs> it was my graduation. It was a day entirely about me. <laughs> Uh, I'm not mad, and I don't think you're a bad guy, but things have gotten a little complicated between us, and here's how. Colon. <laughs> it's given me, like, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> so good. First, let, let me just say I appreciate what you've done for me. We work well together. I buy and drink an obscene amount of you, and you keep me company, and you're my partner. We got through a lot together. I'm not sure how things would have gone for me at certain times without you. Plus, I wouldn't be here now if it weren't for you. Mm. The other side of that coin is that you take up an awful lot of time and energy. I don't really need you around anymore. I don't feel like I need you to supervise me. I don't need your help. I'm moving on to different things. I found something that's better and easier. I'm sure I'll see you around from time to time at parties and special occasions but in the hands and fridges of my friends and family members. <laughs> it's been fun, and it's been sad and crazy and frustrating and expensive and complicated and scary. I underline scary. But I'm not mad. I'm grateful to have come to know you the way I do, especially now. Respectfully, Tedsy. It's just so self-indulgent, you know? <laughs> It's the like, scary part is reading it right now. That's the that's I the feel scary part is that anybody thinks that that is somehow gonna like yeah. therapeutically remove the need like that you're gonna what are you gonna do you're gonna pull that out at some point or you're like you put that on yourself. paper and then be like wow there it is man <laughs> yeah I was like my best friend showed up on my birthday I hadn't seen him in eight months. You know, he'd, he'd been gone for three years. He was in Austria teaching school children. Came back. He showed up at my door. We embraced. And he uh, pulled out my favorite handle of liquor. But it's okay, because I remembered that I wrote a letter saying goodbye to alcohol. <laughs> I was like, never, ever have, has that happened. Ever. <laughs> Maybe for someone who doesn't even need rehab, right? Right. It was like, I, well, I just wound up, wound up here because my wife caught me sleeping with a dude and I told her I was an alcoholic. You know, it's just something bizarre. <laughs> I think the troubling thing, the scariest thing to me is that for me, it was a little different because I, I by the time I wrote that letter, scare, also scarily enough, I had started to do steps. I might have even been pretty far along. But the scary thing is that the normal trajectory is you show up and on day one, mm -hmm. you could probably write a letter right. that might be helpful. But by like, I was there for like two, 
I don't remember how long, like a long time, like 90 days or something like a long, right. I wasn't every day, but by the, by like the third or fourth week, I'm no longer, I'm like completely convinced that like I'm the fucking man. And now I have, now I have everything sorted out. And by the time I wrote, like you normally have a person write that letter, they're like back to completely running on self. And then you're putting them on a pedestal and saying, explain things to the people that just showed up. Cause like by the time I went, everyone that had, everyone that had been there when I first started had graduated. So I was now the senior most sober member in those people's lives. And I'm in a, like a position of relative authority <laughs> over them. <laughs> I'm the one with the most experience. And then that person who's not doing any of the steps, who's not really doing anything is given like 20 minutes to ramble about yeah. what they've learned. Yeah. And it's not great. You know? It's crazy how quickly we we like anoint people into those positions mm-hmm. in that kind of rehab setting, you know, like and how it's like uh, that's the standard. Yeah, absolutely. In that whole industry. It's like yeah. like I, I, I can't I can't even think of how many people you know, think of how many people you could meet no, mention from the rooms who have written a letter like that in rehab. So many. Like everybody has. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody, but a lot of people. No, I mean probably anybody that went to like a proper twenty eight day plus rehab. Yeah. That was like not state funded. The best one I ever read was uh, a buddy I had. He uh, he saved his, and it was my drug of choice, Mary Jane. But it was like written like it was to a lover, and he was like, "Pack your Ziploc bags and go." <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Just the most sarcastic shit ever. <laughs> So good. I remember taking it like I remember when I went to rehab the first time, I was solely strung out on, I mean, it was alcohol and then heroin. Uh And I remember taking it like it, it made sense to me, you know, like I was a week sober sitting in arts and crafts class or whatever, you know, doing my paintings. And then, like, you know, the next hour we were going to write these letters to our drugs of choice. And I remember in a room of, you know, 15 to 20 people that I had become over that last week really, really close with, um, sharing extremely intimate details of our lives together. I remember everybody taking it like super seriously and like people breaking down in tears and like having these like emotional breakthroughs. (laughs) And um, I also remember uh, a a week later having people uh, cheek their Suboxone so that I could take it from them. (laughs) And then like uh, the day that I left the rehab going and staying with this girl I had met in there who uh, only drank wine and didn't have a problem with opiates, uh, filled a Vicodin prescription on our way back to her house (laughs) with like 60 pills. Mm -hmm. And I took um, all... I took all of them over a 48-hour period until her adult son came home, found out what I had done, literally kicked my door down at 3 o'clock in the morning and dragged me out of their house. (laughs) Why is that not your horror story? (laughs) (sighs) So the the letter didn't work is what I'm saying. The the only other solid memory I have about that day is there was this guy who I really liked who called me he said i was the og he said that i was the og um and at that time that i was like i've no one no one has ever before and has not since and will never <laughs> refer to me as the og of anything <laughs> and mad respect to that dude
first time I went to AA. Like, do you do you did either of you guys used to go to a clubhouse? Like an AA clubhouse? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like yeah, like an Alano club? Yeah, like even though I hate it, I also love it and I miss it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> especially because I was like young enough to be like a total fucking loser, like mm-hmm. with no life. Like I didn't have any real responsibilities and the ones that I had, I could just like kind of still, I was young enough to still be getting away with like fucking off, you know? And so, so you were the, were you the guy who would come in and then leave and then come in and then bake for a, a, a cigarette at the end of the meeting? From somebody? <laughs> no, I had my own smokes. <laughs> I would, I would actually, I would get like Palm all non filters and lucky strike and camel non filters. Cause then nobody else would, would bum cigarettes from you. Yep. <laughs> Very smart. <laughs> it was a slick trick. So, there was as a Winston as a Winston man myself. Winston, <laughs> <laughs> like a Doral menthol one hundreds. Um, so, so there was all these like characters and stuff, and I was like nineteen, you know. Um, very obviously, like I, I maybe nineteen year olds now are more experienced <laughs> than I was at the time. I don't know, um, but I'd already like been to rehab, and you know that was about the extent of my life experience. I lived on my own for a little bit. And so when I was in AA for the first time, all of it was totally new to me. And I didn't know that there was like, I didn't really know that there were like directions in the book. I didn't know that you didn't go to meetings and just like fucking puke. Like I, you know, I thought that meetings were like a place where you just go and like work on a like cool story, you know? And one of, because like all these people, this group, at this clubhouse, you know, it was just like you'd go and hang out and smoke and play cards and and then a meeting would start and everybody would kind of like shuffle into the meeting room and light up another cigarette and then just, you know, somebody would start with like, who's got the problem? And then you just like start sharing. And there was this one dude who had <clears throat> this... Uh, the story they would always do. And he would like come in very infrequently. And I was very, very naive at the time. And I didn't realize this guy was like just getting wasted all the time. And then just like occasionally he'd show up at AA meetings and try to, you know, get jobs or whatever, borrow money from people. But he always had this pitch where we'd be in this, you know, it was like this dark smoky room with all these little lamps and stuff. And his name was Carl, and I'm pretty sure I can just use his real name because there's no way this guy is still alive. Like, it's just <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> so, this was like 20 years ago, and this guy was just just on the precipice of death every time I saw him. Um, so his name was Carl. He was like um, kind of like like a – you ever see like a grown-up who looks like a Cabbage Patch kid or like a garbage pail kid probably <laughs> probably more accurate um just like kind of rotund and kind of like you know sausagey like about to burst um, uh, yes i've been to many salvation <laughs> army arc <laughs> meetings yeah. he just described so like, every dude in the salad like, after after you got <laughs> fat eating that yeah. food so like not not necessarily like not like legit fat but like normal build but like Every it's like you're evenly plump. Like every part of you is plumped. You know, you've been steamed five minutes longer than you need to. They need to put you on the bun and serve you. So this dude would always do this pitch and, and he and he spoke. He had this weird way that he spoke, this kind of speech impediment, which was caused by the fact that he didn't have a nose. He had 
supposedly lost his nose because of meth use. I don't know. And so he had this like fake nose where like there's this when he would take it off, there's like this giant hole in his face, basically. And it like put it went on with like magnets, you know. And so like I guess they like drill into your bones in your face and put magnets in it anyway. So it was like colored like his face and stuff. And you didn't really super notice it the first time you saw him, especially in a dark, smoky meeting. But like in broad daylight, you would you would notice it. <clears throat> and so he kind of had this thing and he'd be like, yeah, they said that I was going to have a spiritual experience and, you know, this and that. And, and he would he would always do this pitch and it would be like, uh, last last night of my drinking, I, I was driving and I, I heard a... I saw a bright light, and I heard a booming voice, and it said, step out of the car with your hands on your head, and he would just do that, you know, <laughs> story every time, and it was like, I got, literally, I was a teenager at the time, so it was like, yeah, yeah good one, Carl, you know, like, <laughs> first three times I heard it, but I was also naive to the point where I'm thinking, like, every single person who's in an AA meeting is, like, there to not only get well, but to, like... Uh, be a good person and so um, also because I didn't really have any kind of fundamental understanding of like what the 12 steps are I was just under the impression like okay you don't drink you go to meetings and like be a good dude to people help people right <laughs> so this dude randomly is like uh, looking for help to move like for somebody to help him move uh, at the clubhouse one day and I was like you know person 15 who he had gone up to or whatever and so i'm just like yeah i'll help you move and so you know we set up in a couple days i'm gonna go to his place he gives me his phone number and blah blah i borrow my mom's minivan um and i go over there and my mom my mom had like a a van for a business she was she was running at the time and um you know there's like some of her crap in there but i'm like whatever this guy can't have like three rooms of stuff whatever Show up at this guy's apartment, uh, maybe three or four days later, and there's uh, he is clearly not awake when I get there. You know, it's like 10 a.m. I went and I had got I had grabbed a bag of breakfast tacos and stuff, and I'm like, I'm all hyped. I'm like, yeah, good to go, ready, let's do this. I'm I'm gonna be helpful to another alcoholic. And this guy's doing like, the 12 step. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking I'm doing. So. Which is the real scary part. So I knock on the door. This guy clearly has just been woken up by me knocking on the door. He comes to the door, has no nose on his face, right? So, and it's like, yeah, it's it's like whatever, you know, he has a medical condition. I, I understand. But me in that situation, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going to... I'm just going to crank up that 12 step a little more and just be... <laughs> just act like I don't notice this, right? And so... He's acting kind of weird and squirrely, and I almost immediately notice like nothing is packed in this apartment. I knew you were gonna say <laughs> it. It's just, it is just like there's still shit on the walls. There's like it's only a in a, a studio, right? Like like there's stuff on the dressers. Like just everything is it, nothing's packed, right? So then we're sitting there, and he's in his like rocker, he's chain smoking, and he's eating these breakfast tacos that I brought. I think I brought like six breakfast tacos and he's just mowing through these breakfast tacos. Like he like he's on like taco four before he stops and asks if I wanted a taco, right? Um and I'm just like, nah, dude, I'm good. And and he's 
you know, he's three feet away from me. He has no nose, and he's mowing through these breakfast tacos. It's like with all these salsa, he's sloppy food. It's a very sloppy situation face-wise, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So it's not even the scary part. So... So I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, okay, cool, well, yeah, you know, like, I kind of try to do a few things to, you know, like, hey, well, can I start moving this around, or can I do this and that? Uh, hey, were you baptized? And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> what? Were you? I was like, yeah, yeah, man. He's like, well, you're, are, you a, are you a follower of Christ? And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just get out of this situation. Yeah, of course, dude, of course. Um, and at the time I was kind of like flirting with Christianity and I was just like, yeah, yeah, totally, man. And he's like, so you're, you're baptized. You have your name in the lamb's book of life. <laughs> and I was just like, this dude's about to start fucking snake charming, dude. I'm like, been washed like, in the blood. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And I was like, yeah, 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 man. Yeah. I'm, I'm baptized. He's like, where were you baptized? What into what church? And he's like. Oh, well, we were, I think we were Methodists when I was born and stuff. Wait, you were baptized when you were born? Like, this guy's, like, freaking out at this point. Like, he's, like, getting upset. He has no shirt on, too. I should have mentioned that. Um, just sweaty. Sweaty. And it's, like, first thing in the morning for him. So I'm just like, yeah, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with hard drugs, but it's starting to become apparent, like, this guy's fucked up right now, right? <laughs> so... He's like, uh, he's like, yeah, oh, man, you got to get baptized. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, okay. And he's like, it's, it's totally different. You have to get baptized when you choose to get baptized. You have to know it. You have to be aware of what you're doing, this and that, and blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And it's like sort of adjacent to an argument I've already heard before. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Sure, man. Sounds good. Like, I, I'll get right on that. And he's like, no, we're doing it today. We're doing it, man. We're going to baptize you. <laughs> and I'm just like, it comes to this point where I'm just like, during this conversation, I have to somehow get out of here, right? But also, this big dude's between me and the door. <clears throat> and I'm kind of thinking, like, I can humor him, and then we can gather as much shit as possible, and I can maybe, like, make one run to his new place with him, and then just be like, peace, dude, right? Later. Now you live here, and your other stuff is gone. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> so, this guy goes and grabs this, like, giant Bible, right? Out of, like, his... I don't know. I don't know where it was. I think it was just a one-room apartment. You could see it out of the bathroom or something. Comes back with this giant Bible, and he has also this, like, picture, like, this framed picture. You would see, like, a really weird old motel room of, like, a little... One of those, like, little angel kids. You know? It's like a praying little blonde angel girl. And I'm just like, okay. So it's like cranking up the weirdness, right? And he's just like... All right, man, and he, and he like comes right back again, and he's got a towel. He's like, "Let's do this," and I'm just like, "We're we're going, man. We're gonna do this. We're gonna get you in the Lamb's Book of Life." And I'm just like, "Okay, so what are we doing?" And he's like, "We'll do it right now. We'll do it in the pool." And this is like a you know, it's like a courtyard apartment with a pool in the middle. And I'm just like, I, I, even embarrassed at the thought of going out. But we go out. There's all these people on their balconies, right? And they're all like watching me and this like weird methed out dude with no nose, heading for the pool. And we get to the pool, and the pool is locked. There's, like, a chain on the thing. Like, it, you know, the pool is all fucked up looking, too. So he starts trying to jump this fence, and I'm just like, dude, I'm I'm not physically capable of doing this. I don't want to do this. Uh, it's not happening. He's like, oh, man. And he's getting so, he's, like, getting enraged. And so he, he starts, he's like, 
come on. And he's like jerks me and we like go back to the apartment and I'm thinking like, all right, he's done. We're going to like, no, he's not done. He starts running the bathwater, right? He's filling up the bathtub. <laughs> he's filling up the bathtub. And I'm just like, this is before, this is the one thing where it's like, you gotta, you have to unfortunately really explain this is before the ubiquity of cell phones. Like mm-hmm. I had a cell phone at the time, but the reality of like, Constantly every three minutes looking at my phone and having access to all the world's information in my hand is so foreign to me, right? My only Use for that phone would have been like if it suddenly is like a literal emergency. I'm calling someone right But it's not an emergency. It's just this guy's being fucking weird. So The moment where I realize I'm gonna die, right? <laughs> is I am in this guy's bathtub and his hand is coming down toward my face to push me under the water. And it wasn't until that exact moment that I realized how badly I had fucked up, right? Because mm-hmm. I because I literally somehow kept, like, buying into each escalation of the situation. Like, okay, I'll do this, and then it'll be over. I'll do that, and then it'll be over, and then we'll, we'll get this stuff. And then the second I'm, like, looking up at this noseless, sweating <laughs> lunatic, and he has a giant Bible in one hand, and he's smashing his hand toward my face, this big catcher's mitt paw, I literally realized, like... This is how I die. I die in this freak's <laughs> bathtub. This is how I die. <laughs> so what happens is he puts me underwater and then immediately lets me back up and he's doing this whole like snake dance thing and all this shit. And I'm like, cool, man. Awesome. And so then immediately a, f- a flip switches and he grabs all the shit and he's basically like, let's leave the rest of this stuff here. And then we packed up the fucking minivan we get like maybe a quarter of the stuff that was in the apartment into the van. And then we head off to what I think is going to be his new place. And so like halfway there, he starts telling me all this stuff. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, he's like, oh, I, you know, keep in mind, like three days earlier, I met this guy at, a, at an AA club. And I'm just thinking he's like Joe Recovery, right? He's like, yeah, man. I, uh, man, last night, man, these guys... Man, I, I ain't, I ain't no fag, but you know, man, that meth stuff will get you sucking and fucking. <laughs> he's like, this guy took advantage of me, and he's like going on and on about some dude, right? So he's giving me directions, and we pull up to this place that's like, you know, slightly less scary looking than where we just left. And I'm like, okay, man, we'll start unloading. And he's like, nah, man, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, well, we're gonna unload your stuff. He's like. We're not unloading here. This is that, this is that, well, I don't want to say the word. This is that son of a bitch from last night's house. <laughs> and so he's taking me to this, this, like, I guess sexual predator's house to, to, to go try to get his money back from this guy. His money that he just told me that he, like, snorted up his nose or, I don't know. Yeah, wait, what? How he did his it? face? I don't know how he, did it. <laughs> he just throws it in his face. We're, <laughs> we're gonna get so canceled for this story. So, so it was a different time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so uh, he literally is banging on windows. He's going, and it's like I realize as he's doing this, I'm like sitting there. I'm like. And now, now I can't leave. Now if I leave, I'm like stealing this guy's stuff, right? Because I, mm-hmm. you know, this van full of shit. 
And I realized it's like a fourplex, and he's just like walking up staircases and banging on different doors and shit. And I'm just like, oh my god, dude! Like we're gonna get at least run off, you know? Um, and eventually, he just comes back to the car, and we leave, and we go to like a real shitty part of town. And this is now where he's moving into, and he's moving into this uh, like garage apartment uh, behind a carport at some place, and. It all just seems very like he doesn't even seem like he's allowed to be there. It's very weird. Um, and we unload all the stuff. And then, you know, I've, I'm like, yeah, hey, cool. And somehow I weasel out of doing anything else for him. I, I bounce. I head back home. And uh, I never see the dude again. And the next morning, my mom wakes me up. And I say morning. It was probably like noon. My mom wakes me up because I'm living in her house, and uh, on a Tuesday, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, uh, she's like, "Where are my shirts?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "I had two boxes of custom embroidered shirts for my my employees at my business in the van," and I'm just like, "Well, I I helped that guy move yesterday. Like, you knew I was doing that." And she's like, "Yeah, I told you to take my shirts out of the van before you did that." And so I I this dude took like three hundred and fifty dollars worth of shirts <laughs> out of her van. <laughs> so not only did he take my breakfast tacos, I also gave him all all this apparel. So who knows if that guy is a good uh, brand ambassador, but I don't know, he doesn't come cheap either way, right? Were you just waiting for him to like say, you know, the lamb's book, whatever? Here, here's a here's a t- uh, a tube of lube. Uh, it puts a lotion on the skin. <laughs> I mean, it was it was Buffalo like, I, Bill I enough get, as it was. Yeah. <laughs> right. All I was thinking was like somewhere right now in deep in where whatever state you're from, there's some dude at a meeting. Yeah, I'm Carl. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about the last the last day. <laughs> I came out of my meth psychosis and I was dipping a man into my bathtub <laughs> with a bottle in my hand. And now, yeah, but now he's, moment that now I he's got like a fucking magnetic ear. He's like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> he's like, got like I realized prosthetic I didn't, lips. <laughs> I lost my virginity as a man and I <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't live this life anymore. Found I found God. He's sitting there in a fucking embroidered polo shirt for my mom's <laughs> <Yeah>. business. <laughs> Now I wear these shirts every day to remind me of where I came from. That was my bottom. <laughs> Becoming another man's bottom is my bottom. <laughs> Rest in peace, Carl. Dude, where, where was his freaking nose? Uh, he kept Who like taking it nose? off. He's like putting it on and taking it off. Yeah. It's probably itchy. Yeah. It probably didn't feel great because he threw a bunch of meth in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's got a special meth snorting nose to, you know, different Jeeves, bring me my snorting nose. <laughs> like got a, it's got like a pipe built in. Right. <laughs> like comes out. Yeah. Oh my god. That's it's got cool. more magnets to create a better suction, yeah. I listen, I've been in some situations like you just described where it's just like escalating further and further. But I'm going to be honest with you like I've never done it under the guise of being helpful in AA. <laughs> like, but I've definitely done it under the guise of like, I'm going to get drugs out of this. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'm going to like yeah. keep going keep and tolerating. I end up like deeper and deeper and deeper into this like weird hole of like, that's like, I think the times when I look back on those times and I'm like, I realize that there's this like whole other level of society that lives this entire other mm-hmm. life, you know? And like, it's all happening like all around. Like I drive around now and I look at houses and I'm like, there's some fucking weird shit going on <laughs> in some of these houses. Cause I've been in some of those houses, right. you know? And uh, it's amazing what happens when you get people who are just like fueling their homes with drugs and uh, and the kind of shit that you walk into some of those times. Under, and I've done it under the guise of help people. Oh, yeah, I'll help you move. And then you fucking walk into some somebody else's nightmare. Yeah, big fun. That's a good story. And never saw him again, huh? Never. No. I. That's why I. Uh, he's got to be dead. Mm-hmm. The dude was like, you never know. Well, the dude was like a walking blood clot. <laughs> he doesn't sound like he was on, on a winning no. streak. <laughs> just in case, just in case he's not dead. Hey, Carl with no nose. Welcome back to the program. Yeah, <laughs> right. he's listening Carl, to the picking up a desire chip. <laughs> yeah, again. <laughs> Let's be real. Carl's picking up a key tag. All right. Right. <laughs> Carl's picking up his 875th key tag. I love that thing I saw the other day. It said, um, NA keeping the, keeping the key tag industry alive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Stop going to those meetings. Like, do you think that the people who like make key tags are just like, man, thank God for those fucking drug addicts. Yeah, exactly. Man, thank God for the opioid crisis. Fuck. (laughs) Hey, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah, they're like, we'd be shit out of luck if it weren't for all all those drug companies. (laughs) The two winners, Pfizer and the key tag manufacturers. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe whoever makes track pants. Socks and slides. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This has been a podcast greater than yourself. A podcast greater than yourself was created by recovered alcoholics. All involved in the creation of this podcast are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous who wish to carry the message of our own recovery to those who still suffer. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous. All comments are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.